Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, welcome to Keep the Faith. Thank you for joining me today as we look at another major trend that is bringing us right down to the end of time and the close of probation. The warnings are clear. Everywhere you turn these days, you can see the signs of the times if you're paying attention. Most people aren't paying attention, which means that they will be overwhelmed by the surprising crisis when it comes. Historically, there have been many surprises. In Noah's day, people did not think that a flood would happen. They had all their scientific and theological reasons why it wouldn't happen, but it did. In the days of Lot, no one thought that Sodom would be destroyed. They had their scientific and theological reasons for their unbelief. But it happened. And like the antediluvians before them, they refused to accept the warnings that God sent them through his messenger. And today, people do not think that God will rise up out of his place to punish the wicked. Yet it will happen. They may ridicule those who believe the Bible. But the day will come when it will be all over and there will be no chance to recover. Today we're going to look at a major trend that I have wanted to share with you for some time. It is a trend that is going to overwhelm Western society. Before we begin our study today, I will share with you a few things. You have been hearing about what God has been doing at Highwood Health Retreat in Victoria, Australia, near Melbourne. He is still at work there. Our guests love what Highwood does for them. They are responding very well to the treatment and education. Most of all, many of them respond to the Lord. We have now completed phase two of renovations, and it is really nice. Our guests now have a simple but very nice place in which to recover their health. The last phase of renovations will take place this coming December and January. If you have construction skills and are interested in helping us to complete the final renovations, plan now to join us. If you don't have construction skills, but you can help prepare food, work in the garden, and do other projects, and you would like to join us, you are also welcome. There's always plenty to do. Contact us and let us know of your interest. Also, if you're not receiving our heartwarming e-newsletter, please make sure you send us your email address so that we can keep you up to date on how God is changing lives through the ministry of Keep the Faith and Highwood. And lastly, if you would like to join us for a Waldensian study tour in Italy this coming September, please let us know. This end-time-focused study tour is rich and gives you a sense of the importance of your faith. It will inspire, refresh, and motivate, and it will also make you think deeply about who you are. Now, as we begin our study today, please bow your heads with me if you can. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who died for us so that we may live eternally. Thank you that this world of sin is almost over and that he will soon come in the clouds of glory to claim his people. We want to be among that number. And today we are living in a very wicked and perverted world. We pray that you will give us victory over our sins 
so that our lives will reflect the love of Jesus. Send your Holy Spirit to draw us closer to heaven. Separate us from our affections for this world and pour out a blessing on us today as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you can, to Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 28. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 28. Listen carefully to what is said here. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. Friends, these verses tell us something about the way in which it will be in the last days. We know that as it was in Sodom during the days of Lot, so shall it be in the last days before Jesus comes again. Jesus himself said that in Luke 17. But I want you to notice these verses. Let us think for a few minutes about the roots of homosexuality. True love is rooted in a love for the Creator God. God made man so much like himself that he needed companionship. So God made woman in order to give him companionship and love. That human love between a man and a woman is one of the most important ways in which God reveals his love for the human race. If anything distorts that love, it distorts the understanding of God. So Satan wants nothing more than for man to forget God and pervert the love that God has put in our hearts. That would be his ultimate target. If the enemy is going to eliminate love for God, he can do that by distorting the love in marriage. And if he can destroy the love in marriage, he can also weaken the principle of the Seventh-day Sabbath in the hearts of men, too. And he has been masterful in this evil work. He's done everything he can to destroy marriage. Think about the free love movement in the 1960s, promoted by the hippies. Think of all the infidelity that goes on. And then there is prostitution, pornography, pedophilia, and it seems that the list is endless of the various perversions that are out there today. All these things either undermine true love and marriage, or they make it impossible for a person to have a true conception of love. Add to that the fighting, arguing, and bitterness that many families endure even though they don't get a divorce. And yet we are living in a divorce culture. Everywhere you turn, it seems, families are breaking up or have broken up. Often you meet people who are in their second or third marriage. Satan will do anything he can to destroy true love in marriage and therefore true love to God. And he aims at children, hoping to prevent them from having any true conception of the love of God and the true love in marriage so that they cannot ever possibly enjoy a fulfilling, meaningful, and happy married life. 
It's a terrible thing and makes you almost weep when you see how people act toward each other today. And these verses tell us something about this. The verse said that they love the creature more than the Creator, and therefore God gave them up. What does it mean that God gave them up? It means that He let them have their wish, their lusts, and their perverted desires. They gave up God, and therefore God had to give them up to vile affections. What are vile affections? Well, that's talking about love, or rather, distortions of love. Notice that the apostle labels these affections as vile. In other words, there are some affections that are vile, which means impure, repulsive, disgusting, and offensive. But purity is what it's all about. God is looking for a pure people, people whose lives have the highest principles of love coursing through their experience. But that love is pure. It is not defiled by lust or self-interest. Paul says that lesbian women change the natural use of women. Instead of being united to a man in, a, in the love relationship of holy matrimony, they misuse their bodies in ways God did not design them to be used, but against nature. They desire other women. They have either never developed a true understanding of the love of God, or it has been stolen from them by someone who has misused and abused them, perhaps when they were small. The tragic consequences of sin in one generation leaves terrible scars on the next and the next, even unto the third and fourth generation, and it just gets worse and worse. But it isn't just women. Gay men leave the natural use of women and burn toward each other. Again, something has turned them away from the use that God intended to the alternatives that Satan has put in its place. And this is because true love is undermined. Part of the blame rests with the churches. They have not preached the true love of God, and they have not upheld the Ten Commandments, which is an expression of His character of love. This means that church members get the idea that they can sin and not have to suffer the consequences. Let me quote to you from the book Great Controversy 555 and 556. Satan tempts men to excess in that which is in itself lawful, causing them through intemperance to weaken physical, mental, and moral power. He has destroyed and is destroying thousands through the indulgence of the passions, thus brutalizing the entire nature of man. And to complete his work, he declares through the spirits that true knowledge places man above all law, that whatever is, is right, that God doth not condemn, and that all sins which are committed are innocent. And when the people are thus led to believe that desire is the highest law, and liberty is license, and that man is accountable only to himself, who can wonder that corruption and depravity teem on every hand? Multitudes eagerly accept teachings that leave them at liberty to obey the promptings of the carnal heart. The reins of self-control are laid upon the neck of lust. The powers of the mind and soul are made subject to the animal propensities, and Satan exultingly sweeps into his net thousands who profess to be followers of Christ. But the homosexual movement goes beyond this. The scripture says they did not retain God in their knowledge. 
It's very important to understand that the rise of the homosexual movement, including the same-sex marriage movement, must necessarily reject the Bible because the Bible is very clear concerning the vile nature of homosexuality. Therefore, it is essential that homosexual activists must turn their hostility on the Bible and those who believe and teach the Bible. The Bible condemns their sins and plainly tells them what their end shall be. The Apostle Paul, in his first epistle to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 10, says that the law is made for whoremongers and for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Because of the Bible's plain teachings concerning the homosexual movement, they have to turn their backs on it or reinterpret it or say some thing to make its testimony of no effect. This is exactly what happened during the time prior to and during the French Revolution. They threw out the Bible. Listen to these words from the book Great Controversy, page 270. France presented also the characteristic which especially distinguished Sodom. During the Revolution, there was manifest a state of moral debasement and corruption similar to that which brought destruction upon the cities of the plain. Sodomy was one of the things that destroyed France and led to the bloodshed of the French Revolution. Do you think that your nation can establish homosexuality as a protected lifestyle and still avoid the chaos and carnage that enveloped the French nation? There is cause and effect, my friends. It's not just one without the other. Eventually, the consequences will make themselves manifest. It may take some time, but the lesson is clear in both Sodom and in France. The scripture also says they developed a reprobate mind. What is a reprobate mind? This is a person who is morally depraved and unprincipled in terms of God's law. Friends, there are two types of moral law. There's government law that is imposed by earthly governments, and there is cultural law or social law which is inherent in the culture of a society. This law is a higher law than government laws, actually. In fact, culture law generally informs and guides what earthly governments legislate. This is the law based on the prevailing concept of morality of a given society. A government that rules over a society that is generally religious will legislate laws that reflect that culture. So in order to change the laws of any society, you have to change the culture. And that's why we have the culture wars today. But wherever the culture goes, politics and law will certainly follow. Culture is the court of public opinion. If public opinion changes, then politics and governing laws change. Public opinion can be even more brutal and restricting than government laws. And that is what the homosexual movement is all about, changing the culture of society in Western countries. Recently, there was a very interesting incident with an extraordinarily popular American television reality show, Duck Dynasty, which I've never seen, is a reality show on the cable TV channel A&E that involves a real family, the Robertsons, that live in Louisiana and run a business making duck calls for duck hunters and other products. 
Last year, the show had almost 12 million viewers, making it the most-watched non-fiction series telecast in cable television history. You may have seen T-shirts, silk-screened or printed, with their pictures or other paraphernalia in Walmart or places like the southern restaurant chain called Cracker Barrel. They are stereotyped duck hunters, known for their long beards and Christian views. Phil, the patriarch of the Robertson family, was suspended from the show because of certain comments he made about homosexuals. Here's what happened. Phil was interviewed by GQ magazine for an article in January of this year. GQ is a monthly men's magazine. The interviewer asked Phil what he considered to be sinful. Start with the homosexual behavior, he said, and just morph out from there. Bestiality, sleeping around with this woman and that woman and that woman and those men, he says. Then he paraphrases 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't be deceived, neither adulterers, the idolaters, the male prostitutes, the homosexual offenders, the greedy, the drunkards, the slanderers, the swindlers, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. End quote. Homosexual activists condemned Robertson's comments. The GLAD organization, a homosexual advocacy group, wasn't glad at all. They labeled his words as vile and extreme. Keep in mind Robertson had cited the morals of the Bible. Perhaps the GLAD organization thinks the Bible is extreme too. A&E, the cable station that carries the reality show, predictably announced an indefinite suspension of Robertson from the show. Cracker Barrel pulled Duck Dynasty products from their stores. Robertson did not bend and refused to retract his statements, though he pointed out that he respected all people, even those who disagreed with him. His family and his formidable fan base also defended him, even threatening to boycott Cracker Barrel. Eventually, nine days later, A&E caved in and reinstated him to the show. And within one day, Cracker Barrel restored the product line to its stores due to the public reaction. A Drudge Report headline said it was a stinging defeat for homosexual activists. The victory, however, over the homosexual culture that has arisen around us is hollow. It has not and will not stop the homosexual bulldozer from trampling over the morals and principles of the culture we once knew. Just because conservatives won a small battle doesn't mean they've won the war. The strategy of the homosexual lobby is to overwhelm the culture with their propaganda. They paint themselves as victims. They are the most victimized of all victims. They are the best there ever was in this department. Some conservatives complain that A&E violated the free speech of Mr. Robertson, yet A&E is a private company and does not have the same constitutional obligations as the government. They have the right to associate with whomever they want and not associate with whomever they don't want. Only the government is banned by the Constitution from removing free speech. Incidentally, the same is true with regard to religious freedom in churches. It is not a violation of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution for churches to prevent certain teachings from being voiced or certain beliefs from being supported. That applies to government and government-supported entities, which could include some churches and church institutions that accept government funding. In the case of Duck Dynasty, it was the marketplace that voiced its objections to the decision of A&E to suspend Phil Robertson from the show. 
A&E actually buckled twice, first to the gay juggernaut and then to the pressure of their own marketplace. And when the court of opinion weighed in, A&E felt that they had to restore Robertson to his place on the show. The court of public opinion does not always go the same way, and as the cultural shift away from traditional values gains momentum, increasingly there will be other outcomes. Perhaps the canary in the mine has already begun to sing. When an Oregon bakery refused to bake a wedding cake for a lesbian couple, the community reaction put the bakery out of business. The Christian Post reported on the story, including a vulgar email sent by homosexual advocates to Aaron and Melissa Klein, the owners of Sweet Cakes by Melissa. You stupid, Bible-thumping, hypocritical, and then the vulgar slang words starting with a B, I hope your kids get really sick and you go out of business, it said. The Kleins said that homosexual advocates badgered and harassed some of their clients until they no longer wanted to do business with their bakery. My attorney calls it economic terrorism, said Aaron Klein. They have literally tried to cut any business ties off through harassment. And then there's Robert Lopez, a college professor who wrote about his change from a practicing homosexual to an opponent of the homosexual agenda. Lopez was placed on the blacklist of GLAD, and since then, he says, no secular media outlet has invited me on its show in the United States. In Canada, there are hate speech laws that forbid speaking against Islam and against homosexuality. The Canadian government convicted Mark Harding in Ontario for criticizing Islam and Hugh Owen in Saskatchewan for quoting Bible verses that reference homosexuality. And Oki Green, a Pentecostal pastor in Sweden, was tried and convicted of hate speech when he spoke about the Bible's teaching on homosexuality. Eventually they were all acquitted, but it is obvious that the times are changing. That's because the court of opinion is changing too. Gradually, since the end of the 1980s, almost imperceptibly, as nations with a strong history of Christian values have moved farther and farther away from their moral bearings until there is no longer a strong association between culture and the Bible, as the Bible gradually loses its profile in the culture, attitudes of the people become confused on moral issues and principles and public opinion begins to swing in favor of alternative morals, core values, and lifestyles. How is it that in just a little more than one generation, we have seen the change from the majority of people viewing homosexual behavior as a vice or as an unacceptable lifestyle to one where the majority accept homosexuality as a reasonable alternative to a traditional lifestyle? How is it that now we are witnessing nation after nation, state after state, capitulating politically and legally to the pressure to legalize same-sex marriage? In 1987, Guide magazine published an article by Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen under the pen name Erastus Pill titled Overhauling Straight America that laid out a blueprint through which determined homosexual activists would change the social values and perceptions of Americans about homosexual people. The strategy is no doubt being used in other nations of the Western world as well. In the article, the authors explained a six-point strategy to change the perceptions about homosexuals. 
They also expanded their strategy and published a subsequent book in 1989 called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Here are the six points that have been used very successfully to accomplish their goal. 1. Talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. 2. Portray gays as victims, not aggressive challengers. 3. Give homosexual protectors a just cause by linking the plight of gays to other social injustices. 4. Make gays look good. 5. Make victimizers look bad. 6. Solicit funds by getting big corporations and major foundations to support the homosexual cause. In Overhauling Straight America, authors Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen wrote, The principle behind this advice is simple. Almost all behavior begins to look normal if you are exposed to enough of it at close quarters and among your acquaintances. End quote. So let us look briefly at each one of these strategies and understand the juggernaut of the homosexual agenda. We'll see how they work to radically change perceptions about gays and lesbians. Number one, talk about gays and gayness as loudly and as often as possible. It seems that every day there is a relentless onslaught, a continual barrage of news articles or television shows that identify otherwise ordinary people as gay, or that proclaim the reasonableness of the homosexual lifestyle as an acceptable alternative to traditional lifestyles. And Hollywood is very active in promoting the homosexual lifestyle, just as it has helped other movements in the past. Films and television shows portray homosexuals as almost always innocent, or heroes that need protection. Traditional views are stereotyped and ridiculed. Those who oppose the homosexual movement are portrayed as religious extremists, ignorant, bigoted, crude, and blatantly insensitive to the needs and feelings of others. In the end, there are two reactions, mostly. First, many people are convinced that homosexual behavior is, in fact, acceptable, and that it is just another regular lifestyle, especially in contrast to the chauvinist pigs that are portrayed as their on-screen opponents. And second... It gets most of its opponents so tired and fatigued about the issue that they throw up their hands and give up. Let them have what they want, so they'll shut up, is often the feeling. Listen to what Kirk and Madsen wrote, and I quote, The main thing is to talk about gayness until the issue becomes thoroughly tiresome, end quote. And this strategy of the gradual wearing down of their opponents has worked very well in each phase of the process, whether transforming social perceptions or with more advanced issues like advocating for same-sex marriage. Transforming public opinion required a multi-pronged attack through the mainstream media, the education of children, and an attack on organized religion, which was another major obstacle for the acceptance of homosexual lifestyle. Kirk and Madsen wrote the following, and I quote, While public opinion is one primary source of mainstream values, religious authority is another. And when conservative churches condemn gays, there are only two things we can do to confound the homophobia of true believers. First, we can use talk to muddy the moral waters. 
This means publicizing support for gays by more moderate churches and raising theological objections of our own about conservative interpretations of Bible teachings and exposing hatred and inconsistency. Liberal churches, moderates as they are called by homosexual activists, have been rather accommodating of the strategy. Many of them threw out the principles of correct biblical interpretation years ago. So they're very vulnerable, and some churches make their mark, as it were, by being gay-friendly. And those that don't accept homosexual behavior are painted as legalistic, unloving, and unaccepting, and much worse. As I mentioned before, it is very important to understand that these activists have to reject the clear teaching of Scripture concerning the homosexual lifestyle. The Bible cannot be understood as it is written for them. It must be reconciled with modern society, they suggest. That simply means that the Bible must be reinterpreted so that it fits with the prevailing moral winds. This plays right into the hands of gay activists because these churches are very vulnerable to suggested reinterpretations of the Bible, and especially the characterization of gays as victims of injustice. But that's not all. They also bully anyone who opposes them. Kirk and Madsen wrote, We can undermine the moral authority of homophobic churches by portraying them as antiquated backwaters, badly out of step with the times and with the latest findings of psychology. Against the mighty pull of institutionalized religion, one must set the mightier draw of science and public opinion. Such an unholy alliance has worked well against churches before on such topics as divorce and abortion. End quote. Thus, even the churches, including some conservative churches, are more accepting of homosexual lifestyle. And while public disapproval of the homosexual lifestyle is rather rapidly changed to tolerance and then acceptance, the churches have begun to come along too, where conservative churches still oppose the alternative lifestyle. They have nevertheless been cowed to, into near silence or have muted their voices for fear of being accused of intolerance. Second, Kirk and Madsen recommended that gays be portrayed as victims, not aggressive challengers, even though that is what they really are. Victimization always raises up defenders and supporters of the victim because it plays on the basic human sense of fairness and makes people feel guilty for those who claim to be oppressed. This has worked before with the pro-choice movement, often referred to as the reproductive rights movement, in which women with unwanted pregnancies are portrayed as victims of injustice if they have to carry their babies to full term. And homosexual activists have used the media very effectively to portray themselves as victimized class in need of protection and special privileges. There were even some murders of gay men who were blamed on Christians or Christian organizations like James Dobson's Focus on the Family, the Christian Coalition, the Family Research Council, etc. The gay movement used tragic events like these to demonize anyone who opposes them, particularly Christians even characterizing them like Adolf Hitler. Former homosexual activist Randy Thomas revealed how the homosexual movement has morphed into the very thing it condemned in its opponents. And I quote, As a former homosexual, when I was involved in the 1980s promoting the gay agenda, our only focus was to seek tolerance, Thomas said. 
Whereas today, political activism has moved from true tolerance into political domination and power. It's an amazing thing to watch a group that said they were oppressed become the oppressors. End quote. Third, give defenders of homosexuals a just cause. What this means is to join the homosexual cause with legitimate groups that have suffered discrimination in the past and thereby try to make alleged homosexual discrimination appear the same. Homosexual activists have piggybacked their agenda on other groups, like African Americans, who have endured discrimination. They try to hitch their caboose to the civil rights movement, for instance, and claim that if they don't have the right to marry, it is as bad as segregated schools. They even fund African-American groups, which all but guarantees that they will not speak up against them. By doing so, they give those who are likely to defend them, some of whom may even be straight, something to use as a club to bludgeon anyone who would oppose them with the racist label. Painting homosexual behavior as a civil rights equality issue makes it appear that if you are against the homosexual lifestyle, you're also against blacks, Hispanics, and other minorities, too. But many black Americans object to this characterization. They don't like the idea of being tied to the homosexual political juggernaut, especially since many of them are conservative Christians who have no interest in supporting the gay movement. They resent being drawn into common cause with gays and lesbians whose lifestyle they deplore. Listen to this quote about the movement from an African-American involved in civil rights. Quote, the gay front would like to be viewed as the latest chapter of the civil rights movement. According to their reasoning, gays are America's newest oppressed minority, seeking fairness, justice, and the right to pursue happiness in the same manner as other social groups in the country. Homosexuals today feel they are fighting the same battle that blacks fought 40 years ago. But in fact, the gay movement is the civil rights movement turned on its head. In a fashion quite the opposite of Dr. King, who challenged an unjust nation to return to the principles and traditions from which it had strayed, gay political operatives work to rewrite our traditions to suit their own proclivities. They say their struggle is about equality, but it's really about the exercise of political power and claims for entitlement. End quote. Fourth, make gays look good. And fifth, make their opponents look bad. Kirk and Madsen wrote, we intend to make the anti-gays look so nasty that average Americans will want to disassociate themselves from such types. And this especially picks on conservative Christians. And while there are those Christians and others that play into their hands by carrying picket signs with unchristlike slogans and extreme language such as God hates fags or other false statements, that is not the way most Christians would treat homosexuals. But because of some... All Christians, in general at least, are painted with the same extremist brush. If you have personal friends who are gays and lesbians like I do, you will know that otherwise they are wonderful people and you can enjoy spending time with them, at least in the right circumstances. The real issue is that they have to deal with the sin problem just as you and I do. We all have addictions or addictive behavior that must be overcome. We all have had pain in our lives. We have all been victims of Satan's deceptions and power. 
He plays on our natures and our bodies to cause us to disobey God. No one is less sinful than anyone else. Yes, some sins are grosser than others, but respectable sins are no less sinful than homosexual sin. Secret sin is no more sinful than sodomy. It may even be worse because it is more difficult to root out of your life. The homosexual's issue is perhaps different from yours or mine, but we all must deal with our proclivity to sin. Standing in judgment over homosexuals is condemned by Jesus himself, who said, Judge not that ye be not judged. You will suffer the penalty of unrepented and unrenounced sins just like anyone else, including gays and lesbians. Homosexuals like to say that they were born that way and therefore justify their proclivity by suggesting that there is nothing they can do about it. But Native Americans could say that they were born with a proclivity to alcohol and drugs, and therefore it should be legalized, for them at least. I could argue that I was born with certain predispositions to one sin or another, and so could you. The fact is, we are all born with sinful natures, and with certain propensities based on our genetic makeup, our prenatal environment, our family characteristics, etc. Each of us has different temptations that especially attract us, based on many factors. That doesn't make them right. Therefore, it is vitally important in working with friends who are gay or lesbian that you treat them with kindness and respect, just as you would any other, and just as you would want Jesus to treat you. It is vitally important that Christians always be Christ-like in all their behavior, including and especially their speech and their actions toward others who struggle with sin. Listen to this very interesting statement from the fifth volume of the Testimonies for the Church, page 97. Satan carefully studies the constitutional sins of men, and then he begins his work of alluring and ensnaring them. And what is a constitutional sin? Those are the sins that you are tempted to commit because of your makeup or your constitution. He understands the power of heredity. He knows the weaknesses you are likely to have even before you're born. But through Christ, all of these inherited and cultivated tendencies to evil can be overcome. Praise God for that. But homosexual activists have learned to marginalize Christian witness because Christians have their own lifestyle sins such as infidelity, divorce, masturbation, and a host of other sexual sins. How can Christians speak out against the gay lifestyle when they have sins of their own? This just validates their mindset. They see the beam in the eyes of Christians and they wonder why they're trying to take the splinter out of theirs. While Christians must stand for their beliefs in a Christ-like way, they must also address their own sins. It is relatively easy for the homosexual movement to discredit voices that oppose them because they can play up the inconsistencies and the guilt of others by making gays and lesbians look really good. They are often very good at quality customer service, so airlines and other businesses that are heavily involved in customer service hire them and support their causes. They often dress well. They are often very good at arts and music, which gives them wide acceptance. They are often very good actors and actresses, and so Hollywood, which openly promotes the lifestyle, has a disproportionate number of homosexuals involved in the film and TV industry. 
Pop music emphasizes non-traditional lifestyles, immorality, and other vices. This enhances acceptance by multitudes. So you can see that through many channels, particularly cultural channels, homosexuals are made to look very attractive and worthy of emulation. Meanwhile, those who are opponents of the gay lifestyle are painted as anything but worthy of association or emulation. Hollywood does this through humor, in which conservative traditional values are ridiculed, mocked, and derided, while alternative lifestyles are presented as the innocent victims of abuse, or the hero, or, or in some other positive way. But more serious allegations are also purveyed by the media. For instance, straights, in particular Christians, have been accused of being complicit in the mistreatment or even murder of homosexuals. When a homosexual was murdered some time ago, political gay rights advocates painted the murder as a hate crime that was brought on by Christian attitudes promoted by organizations such as Focus on the Family, the Family Research Council, etc. 6. Solicit funds from major corporations and foundations that are willing to support gay causes. Foundations that assist in gay causes solicit donations from large corporations that hire gay employees and are willing to support gay causes. Some such corporations are American, Delta, and United Airlines. The Ford Foundation, IBM, Macy's, MasterCard, Yahoo, Waste Management, and many, many others. Of the Fortune 500 companies, 91% of them now have non-discrimination policies that include sexual orientation or gender identity or both. Many of the corporations also fund gay causes through grants to foundations that support the promotion of homosexual lifestyle. The Gill Foundation, for instance, is an organization dedicated to supporting homosexual causes. It has provided millions of dollars to many groups and organizations that promote gay rights, such as the Easter Seals, the American Lung Association, the Urban League, the Girl Scouts in the United States, etc. They have also provided millions of dollars to Lambda, the Legal Defense and Education Fund, which lobbies for same-sex marriage. Of course, all such money comes with strings attached. Each organization that receives money from the Gill Foundation must have an anti-discrimination policy that includes homosexual behavior. They use their money to buy legitimacy in public opinion, especially in areas where there is strong opposition. Lambda advocates for same-sex marriage and has been a leader in the attack against the Boy Scouts of America for its policy against openly homosexual members and leaders. In 2013, however, the Boy Scouts, under pressure, changed their policy and now allow gay boys as members. They're not yet allowing gay leaders. The American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU, a well-known high-profile rights group, openly supports the homosexual agenda. The ACLU advocates for individual rights. They have appointed an openly gay man as their executive director. Their 200 staff attorneys or solicitors, along with thousands of volunteer attorneys, handle legal cases covering a broad range of issues, one of which is LGBT rights. LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. The ACLU has over 500,000 members. 
and the human rights campaign openly lobbies for and financially supports political candidates sympathetic to homosexuals. All of these foundations and nonprofit organizations, and more, are sponsored and supported by major corporations or their charitable foundations, and by individuals who want to advocate for change in support of gay rights, etc. The advocates of homosexual rights knew that this was a battle for hearts and minds, and therefore they understood that propaganda would have to play a major role in it. Listen to what Kirk and Madsen said in their book, After the Ball. Quote, We have in mind a strategy as calculated and powerful as that with which gays are accused of pursuing by their enemies. End quote. In other words, they've been doing the very thing that they've been accused of. Reading on. Quote, it is a plan as manipulative as that which our enemies themselves employ. It's time to learn from Madison Avenue to roll out the big guns. Gays must launch a large-scale campaign to reach straights through the mainstream media. We're talking about propaganda. End quote. They added, quote, Even when it sticks to the facts, propaganda can be unabashedly subjective and one-sided. There is nothing necessarily wrong with this. Propaganda tells its own side of the story as moving and credibly as possible, since it can count on its enemies to tell the other side with a vengeance. In its battle for hearts and minds, effective propaganda knows enough to put its best foot forward. This is what our media campaign must do. End quote. And they have been very successful in using the media to play their part in changing the minds of the common people to be accepting of homosexual behavior as essentially normal. In his commentaries on the Laws of Moses of 1814, Sir John David Michaelis said the following concerning the sodomy laws that God instructed Moses to implement. If we reflect on the dreadful consequences of sodomy to a state and on the extent to which this abominable vice may be secretly carried on and spread, we cannot, on the principles of sound policy, consider the punishment as too severe. For if it once begins to prevail, not only will boys be easily corrupted by adults, but also by other boys, nor will it ever cease, more especially as it must thus soon lose all its shamefulness and infamy and become fashionable and the national taste and then national weakness, for which all remedies are ineffectual, must inevitably follow, not perhaps in the first generation, but certainly in the course of the third or fourth. Whoever therefore wishes to ruin a nation has only to get this vice introduced, for it is extremely difficult to extirpate it where it has once taken root, because it can be propagated with much secrecy. And when we perceive that it has once got a footing in any country, however powerful and flourishing. We may venture as politicians to predict that the foundation of its future decline is laid and that after some hundred years it will no longer be the same powerful country it is at the present. No wonder God had to intervene in Sodom. They were given up to it. Not even ten were righteous. Do you think that eventually God will have to intervene again? What has been the effect of the homosexual strategy as laid out by Kirk and Madsen? The National Opinion Research Center, based in Chicago, says the following. 
The change toward acceptance of homosexuality began in the late 1980s, after years of remaining relatively con constant. In 1973, 70% of people felt same-sex relations were always wrong. And in 1987, 75% held that view. By 2000, however, that number dropped to 54%, and by 2010, it was down to 43.5%. So what happened in the two decades between 1990 and 2010? Media assault gained traction by presenting gay men and lesbian women in positive ways. This, of course, opened the floodgates. Hollywood changed in the 1990s from portraying homosexuality as something to be laughed at to more serious portrayals, while trashing and mocking the traditional institution of marriage. This opened the door to weakening of marriage in the media, and the rise of homosexuality as a viable and even better alternative. But it isn't just in media. The LGBT movement has also infiltrated public university campuses. Many courses are offered on gender theory, which promote gay and lesbian lifestyles. Churches have begun to adjust to the new reality, too, with gender-neutral Bibles, which do violence to a correct theology, gender-neutral devotional books, and other core writings. Liberal mainstream churches like the Anglican Church have been split over the election of openly gay and lesbian priests and bishops and the blessing of same-sex marriages. A long list of other mainstream Protestant churches have begun to bless same-sex marriages, such as various Lutheran churches, some Presbyterian churches, a few Methodist communions, and a variety of other Protestant churches. The Seventh-day Adventist Church does not permit or condone same-gender intimate relationships, unions, or marriages. The Roman Catholic Church does not condone same-sex unions or marriages, though many of its priests are homosexual and some are pedophiles. Friends, we're living in the time of great social change, especially in Western countries. We have reached a tipping point. A tipping point is when an issue crosses a threshold and gains momentum, in this case, irreversible momentum. There are 15 countries that now permit same-sex marriages, with more to come in 2014 and beyond. They are Argentina, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Denmark, France, Iceland, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Spain, South Africa, Sweden, Uruguay. In addition, parts of Mexico and the United States permit them. The most recent country is Great Britain, with a same-sex marriage law now in effect in England and Wales, and with Scotland's new law to be effective by the end of October 2014. And there are national debates going on about homosexual lifestyle in Australia, China, Colombia, Finland, Ireland, Germany, Luxembourg, Nepal, Taiwan, Turkey, and Vietnam. Inevitably, some of them, if not all, will adopt laws permitting same-sex marriage. In addition, there are new and old frontiers that the homosexual movement has either opened up or reignited debates, including polyamory, which is a group relationship with a number of committed partners, and polygamy, which is almost as old as the history of the world. Friends, please don't think that this issue is going to go away. There is more behind all the promotion and attitude change going on. Advocates want to make it illegal to speak against homosexuals. Activists are working to have legal barriers 
developed to businesses making hiring and firing decisions based on sexual orientation or gender identity. If you study the story of Lot, you will notice that the men of the city who gathered around Lot's house were very aggressive and demanding. They would have forced themselves on Lot's visitors and harmed Lot and his family if given the opportunity. Had it not been for the angels who pulled Lot back into the house and blinded the men, perhaps Lot would have perished. Notice also that the homosexuals of Sodom, which involved all the men of the city, were angered by what Lot said about their wickedness. They were so perverted in their hearts and minds that they could not comprehend what wickedness was. The angels had come to see firsthand, so to speak, what was happening in Sodom. These same characteristics are also manifest today to some extent. We can see where it's all headed by countries who are rather advanced in protecting homosexual lifestyle. They arrest and convict those who publicly oppose the lifestyle, even if they're merely showing what the Bible says. Perhaps the men are now gathering around Lot's house in a modern sense. It is ultimately God's people who are the target of homosexual movement, because they are the ones that will have to stand like Lot against the rising tide of evil and call sin by its right name. It was a fearful time for Lot, but he had the holy angels in his home. And if you have the holy angels in your home, if your home reflects the true love of God and the angels abide there, you will have their protection. Make sure that your home is a place where angels are welcome. Make sure your home is a place where you invite them and even urge them to stay. You need that protection, don't you? Today we are seeing the rise of a modern Sodom, but this time it is on a global scale, and its ramifications appall us. Tomorrow we will suffer its wrath against the followers of God, and when the judgments of God will be poured out on the wicked cities of your country, I hope you are not living in or near them. Plead with God to help you find a way to get out so that you won't be leavened by their wickedness and so that you will not be caught up in their destruction. Friends, let us remind ourselves of the real issue. The issue is love. If you love God with all your heart, you will love His law. If you love His law, then you will hate sin, but love the sinner as He did. Your life must represent the life of God if you are going to survive the total, unstoppable onslaught of Satan's power. May God help you to prepare for the crisis that is soon coming upon the world. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the Bible, which gives us so much information concerning our times. We see the marching armies of Satan building their society under his banner. We now see the tactics he has used to steal a march on us. We see that he is preparing for the final conflict. We ask that you will bring your Holy Spirit into our hearts, that we may understand true love for God and how that is manifested in the marriage principles you have established in your word. Please give us a mature understanding of our times for what we have learned today. In Jesus' name, amen. Live out thy life within me, O Jesus, King of
display The temple has been yielded And purified of sin Let thy Shekinah glory Now shine forth from within And all the earth keeps silence The body henceforth be Thy silent gentle servant Moved only as by thee Its members every moment Held subject to thy call Ready to have thee help them Or not be used at all Held without restless longing Or strain or stress or fret Chafings at thy dealings Or thoughts of vain regret But restful calm and quiet From bend and bar We hope you've been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you've just heard is Live Out Thy Life Within Me, sung by Christian Berdahl. It's recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called Consecration. This beautiful CD is available from Keep the Faith Ministry.